This is the Future of Security Operations podcast brought to you by Tynes. This show is dedicated to empowering SecOps leaders to reimagine how their teams work so they can scale their security efforts and build a team that achieves more with less. In each episode, we'll learn from a security leader who has found a way to free their team from tedious manual tasks and remove the barriers that are preventing them from doing high-value strategic work that truly matters. We'll learn from their mistakes, distill their best practices, and leave you with actionable insights that you can immediately put to work with your team. I'm your host, Thomas Kinsler, COO and co-founder of Tynes. Now, let's jump right into today's show. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Future of Security Operations podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Expel Vice President of Security Operations, John Hensinski. John, thanks for chatting with me today. Thomas, great to be here. Before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, and some of the work you do at Expel? Yeah, perfect. So, Thomas, in my role as VP of Security Operations at Expel, I think, like, let me provide a high-level overview in terms of what Expel is, and I'll provide a little bit of my background, if that's okay. So the easiest way to think about Expel, it's a bring your own technology sock as a service. I think the things to really call out there are like, we don't ship an agent. You don't have to buy an EDR. You don't have to buy a network compliance. You don't have to buy a SIM. What we've built is a platform that connects to the technology that our customers have so we can maximize their security investment. And really the premise of the service is delivering security that makes sense. The TLDR there is we tell you about the alerts that matter. We tell you about security compromise and what to do about it. But I think the real key difference is we lead with technology and back that with really, really smart people. What we're not going to do is send a whole bunch of alert to security analysts to kind of make sense of that. We're going to lead with technology. So a little bit about myself in terms of my background, like my background is in IT. I started at the help desk. That's how I broke into security. And then I spent a number of years helping build out global security programs, both in the private and public sectors. And then I spent a couple of years at Mandiant, mostly doing enterprise incident response investigation. Bob, really, really interesting. I want to dive in on a couple of those areas. And I also, I know you see some of the most cutting edge threats at Expel. So I want to dive into to some of those. But can you tell us a little bit more about, I suppose, about your journey, how you got into security in the first place? And maybe I suppose how you've seen security evolve over the last few years? Yeah, so I broke into security via the help desk. So like for, for anybody that's kind of listening, if you're working in the help desk, trying to think about how you're going to break into security, like spoiler, you're already in security when you're working the help desk. So when I was working at the help desk, you know, I learned how to really develop empathy for employees across an organization that are trying to use technology to kind of solve problems. The other really good thing about working at the help desk, at least when I was working that this is decades ago at this point, Thomas, to, to kind of give your listeners some background, it really forced me to get really good at learning protocol, TCP IP, how mm-hmm. the internet works, how applications work. And so I use that knowledge to break into like an internal security team focused on security analysis as well. So really just, you know, in a nutshell, broke into security via the help desk, use that to, you know, build a fundamental set of skills that it used to break into a security operations center. Fast forward, like the question about like, how have I seen security operations really evolve today? Like in a nutshell, it's like, you know, I've been in security for well over a decade. And I think early on in my journey, you know, it was really about teams are struggling to figure out how we identify attacks, right? Can we look at the trends in the Mandy and M trends reports? When you look at the dwell time, I think organizations at the time were really struggling how to find things like advanced threat actors. Maybe organizations were good at finding legacy crime or commodity malware, like Zeus bot and fake antivirus. I'm dating myself at this point. But really, as security has evolved, we've gotten better 
at being able to find the right things. And I think a lot of that has to do with the technology has gotten better. It's given us the right level of visibility. And now I think we're at this inflection point where like, not only have we gotten better visibility through technology, we're also seeing more products come to market that solve automation. Like they're helping reduce repetitive tasks that you see in things like a security operations center, so on and so forth. So really like in a nutshell, I was like, how security has evolved. I think the technology's improved, but I think our capabilities that we're you know applying on top of that tech have improved and new products coming to, to, to market to kind of automate repetitive tasks typically associated with like security operation centers. Bob, and I know we try to give everybody a little bit of a chance to share some about it. And I know you shared a little bit about Expel already, but is that how Expel got founded that they saw, I suppose, a, a niche where there's an opportunity to say, actually, like we are at an inflection point. We know there's an opportunity to, to be best in breed and bring your own tools. As tools mature, there's a certain level of standard across all those tools. Or what do you think caused that? I think there are a couple things like, you know, in terms of the time frame when Expel was founded, this is around 2016, just to kind of give mm-hmm. you a list of historical perspective. And really at the time we we looked out into the market and we looked at what customers were, were getting and the available options. And the trends that we heard were people were unhappy. You know, these were legacy providers that didn't have transparency and there were they were just weren't getting the outcomes that they expected. So when we were looking at, you know, kind of bringing the company to market, we were really focused on a couple of things, Thomas. It's number one, integrating the technology that organizations already have was a big one. Mm-hmm. Because in a lot of our discussions, you know, you had to buy a SIM or it took months to onboard with an MSSP at the time, like literal months. Yep. And so we said, we're going to integrate with the tech you have and onboarding is going to be super easy. And you're going to have the same level of visibility as our own security analyst, meaning the platform that a customer logs into is the same platform that we're, we're using to deliver the service. Right. And then on top of that, like really my role in all of this is I really wanted to bring high quality investigation to a SOC as a service. So if we nailed those things, integrate with the technology an organization has, onboarding is super easy and we deliver high quality security investigation at scale. That was the fundamental premise and the problems and opportunities we saw in the market at the time. I love it. And yeah, I know now from, from first-hand experience, just how hard it is to onboard and also some of the not necessarily bad service, but I suppose not necessarily cutting edge service as well. That some of some MSSPs were offering at were offering at the time, and some still do. I do offer today. I suppose when Expel was founded, you mentioned like crimeware, and you mentioned some other you know some other types of attacks. But I suppose things like yeah, BEC ransomware were only just getting started in some of those uh, around that time. How have you seen, I suppose, the threats change or I suppose you've worked in some incredibly sophisticated organizations, BAE and Mandiant, but how have you seen the threats change and how has that affected, I suppose, some of your strategy at the moment? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think the way to kind of think about it is like, you know, at previous stops along my journey, given the role that I had in the organization, my mission was focused on the identification of advanced threats, something that is targeting an organization specifically. And you're spot on is when we we founded Expel, like business email compromise and that class of fraud was really starting to merge and get really, really big. And so when, when you think about that, like that's a new class of activity that we have to detect and we have to be able to d- detect it at scale. So when we talk about automation and automation and their stock, like at a super high level, when you're dealing with something like a business email compromise, like first off, you know, I, finding identity-based detection can be a little bit challenging. And so one of the things that we really had to think about in terms of you know protecting organizations against business email compromise was bringing a lot of automation to bear on those classes of alerts. Let me give you a super high level example. Mm-hmm. 
when we're talking about business email compromise, for the most part, you're really talking about like an external threat actor trying to use a compromised credential to log into maybe like an external email application. And when you think about trying to alert on suspicious login activity, imagine you're an organization of 100,000 employees. And imagine that organization is in like the transportation industry and you have employees moving all over the globe at any given time. If you try and, you know, alert on that class of activity without a lot of automation, you are going to likely have some unhappy security analysts because let me high level scenario alert comes in suspicious activity. Thomas is now traveling over here. An alert is a question in terms of is this bad? And what we found is, is there's a series of steps that you're supposed to take when triaging that class of alert. I'm going to look at authentication activity and I'm going to do all this and that. Well, what would it look like if we just handed it back to a product or platform to do all that work for the security analysts? And then what we're doing is optimizing for the decision moment rather than trying to fight a class of activity using a whole bunch of manual effort in the SOC. So now the other thing you talked about was like ransomware activity. That one's a little bit different because the whole premise of what we're trying to detect is all the activity that precedes the ransomware event. But that's another opportunity where you can bring the right combination of tech and automation to bear to be able to do threat detection for that class of activity at scale. I love it. One of the uh, biggest investigations I've been on was in a previous company where we experienced a very large incident, a breach. And I suppose they we had to shut down every opportunity to access the network. So we shut down our VPN, only approved devices were allowed on the network, et cetera. The very first job that we, we actually hired in, Mandiant, we hired, we didn't hire Mandiant for this bit. We hired in Mandiant for the official investigation, but we hired another professional services firm for the the Splunk alerts that would come in. And those alerts were basically, hey, we've got a new joiner joining our VPN for the first time. And it was just that manual process of investigating it. And that was, I suppose, one of the reasons we started Times as well. That, like, that process can definitely be automated. There's no way you can can do this manually unless you're and we were spending like hundreds of thousands of dollars every single month on professional services fees especially at the scale that we were trying to operate on yeah that's a really good example and it's something that we run into because imagine we integrate with sim technologies and organization are going to have yeah. alerts just like that and so instead what we're going to do in that scenario is exactly what you said is like i'm not going to just put this alert in front of a human analyst and make them run at the ground i want to know the investigative steps associated when this thing fires but also what's equally important is a feedback loop back into the product. Okay, this particular alert, somebody connected the VPN, it was benign. How does the system get smarter so we don't have to do the same thing again and again and again? It's that again moment where the same classes of problems keep showing up. That will lead to burnout over time. Absolutely. And I definitely want to touch on burnout, but I suppose I want to go into a few more of the, I suppose the current state. How have you seen the the shift? And I, I guess this is a question for Spell as well, but how have you seen the shift to cloud affect some of the, I suppose the risk tolerance and the the priorities of some of your customers? So like, yeah, the shifts attacks against like GCP or Azure or AWS. It's a really good question because it's increasing the attack surface. Yep. And, you know, one of the things that to kind of think about from a SOC perspective is if you're monitoring like a Windows Active Directory environment, you've got EDR and network technology, you're looking at things like process events, and there's alerts with usernames attached to that. When we're shifting into monitoring cloud infrastructure, like the fundamental premise, you know, is the same in terms of trying to break in, right? Maybe I'm going to compromise a long-term access key versus a user credential. 
but basically the verbiage is going to change. I think the bottom line is like the tax service is growing from the things that we see in cloud is, is we see a lot of compromise of long-term access keys, like in, you know, publicly available repos, and then threat actors use that to gain access to, you know, cloud infrastructure environments to spin up resources, to do things like crypto, crypto mining or crypto jacking in that context. But the bottom line is like, it's increasing the attack service and downstream in your SOC, it's increasing the complexity. Because now I have to context switch from enterprise to cloud infrastructure in those moments. And again, that's where the right set of technology can help your SOC analysts, like, you know, be able to be effective in enterprise as well as cloud infrastructure environments. Absolutely. I said earlier that you've had an incredible career, but like you've been at the forefront of protecting some of the world's most attacked companies realistically. So BAE system, Systems, Mandiant, and at Expel, you're protecting some, again, some of the most sophisticated companies in, in the world. Are there any attacks that stand out in that career? Not asking you to reveal anything too sensitive, but anything super interesting that's a, yeah, a good war story, I suppose. Yeah, I'll share two things. You know, one, I've been really fortunate to work for some incredible organizations under some incredible leaders. And, you know, Early days when I was working for you know, the large defense company that's on my resume. At that time, I was, I was earlier in my career. And this is for, for listeners, this is like probably 2011-ish. And at the time, I was really convinced that, okay, every APT or every you know advanced threat actor incident is going to start with exploitation of a zero-day vulnerability. Because yeah. right? I was early in my career. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, you know what I learned is, the threat actors are going to use, you know, kind of like the lowest cost possible. Oh, it's it's not exploitation of a zero day. It's a zipped executable to land on a system and then proliferate from there. And so that's all just to say, you know, I had these biases where I'm like, okay, we're using the word advanced to describe groups of threat actors. I assumed that it was going to be exploitation of all of these zero day vulnerabilities. I'm not suggesting that I haven't seen that and that doesn't happen, but I was a little bit surprised in terms of, okay, self-installation attack vectors to gain initial access and how often and prevalent that is. That was the first one. Now, fast forward in terms of really interesting incidents, without giving away too much information and details, it's, I saw compromise of third-party services to gain access to organizations. And it goes to show you that, you know, the threat actors had an understanding of the services being utilized by targets. They compromise those third-party services to gain access to those initial targets as well. The other thing is, you know, we mm-hmm. talked a little bit about drive-by downloads, and this is a few years ago, is there were there were websites that were being compromised because of the anticipated visitor population. And I don't want to give away two more details because yeah. there is some sensitivity there, but like given where a certain news organization sits geographically, they can yeah. anticipate who's going to visit that website right? And just say, hopefully I'm going to land on a target within an organization that may be visiting this local news site. So like all those things combined, it really goes to show you like, wow, there's a lot happening in this, in this space. And I'm really privileged and fortunate to have those experiences that I've had. Yeah. We, some, several folks that I've uh, worked with have experienced those watering hole attacks. And I think there were some against, yeah, against some security conferences and things like that in the past as well, which did manage to affect, unfortunately, a bunch of organizations or maybe not security defense, I suppose, conferences, which did manage to affect a bunch of different people. There's something that I want to touch, touch on that's a little bit outside. It's related to what you said there that I suppose early on in your career that, and I certainly was as well, convinced that most of the attacks that, you, you know, you come up against will be yeah, APTs, or they'll be like incredibly sophisticated. You have a large following on Twitter. I'd say that you're a bit of a thought leader in the blue team space. And 
in the blue team space, there's a lot of people that will talk a big game about these sophisticated attacks. Whereas there's not as much focus, I suppose, on the like, well, actually, this is just straightforward phishing. How do you think about that? I suppose this is just a very personal question. How do you think about that when you're when you're reporting that the balance between saying, actually, this is what we're seeing most often, probably the most useful versus this is super interesting. Yeah, I think when you look at the type of reporting that we're publishing from Expel, if you look at we, we quarter over quarter, we produce a quarterly threat report that talks about the various classes of incidents we're seeing across our customers. And we talk about initial access, entry point, and the recommendations for organization. And for anyone that's read that report, you're going to see a consistent trend. Okay, initial access is typically zipped executables, macro-enabled Word documents, zipped HTA files, zipped JavaScript files, or something it requires user interaction but is effective. The same with business email compromise and the theft of identity. Okay, do you have multi-factor authentication enabled? Okay, cool. But instead of SMS or text messaging, maybe we're opting for push notifications. Okay, cool. With MFA fatigue attacks, push notifications are susceptible. So can we, can we do number matching? My firm belief is I spent a lot of time talking about, I don't want to call them the basics. That's the wrong word. What I'm <laughs> saying, what I mean by that is really, what are the best investments that you can make to meaningfully improve your security posture? Now, that's not to say like zero day vulnerabilities aren't out there. It's not very real. But I believe if you look at the patterns of initial access for pre-ransomware, you know, expose RDP or, you know, zip it executables or JIP job, JScript files, like spend your time there. I'm not saying don't worry about exploitation of third party services or zero day vulnerabilities, but I spent a lot of my time writing reporting for our customer base saying, hey, you, the, the best investments you can make are over here. Yeah, they may sound basic, but you know where the advanced part comes is in the implementation, trying to roll them out across the organization. And one last point is, I think threat reports are really valuable and meaningful. Where I want to see this industry go is more blogs about how I got fish-resistant MFA deployed across an organization, how we disable macros from running and files downloaded from there. I want the organization to talk more about that. Talking about threats is important, but like, let's talk as an industry in terms of how we're able to meaningfully reduce risks as an organization through using strategy, really. That's really what it comes down to. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think like in the future, some of those things are going to be unfortunately non-negotiables for security teams that they should be the bread and butter, but they're often not. But also like, how often do you see a, you know, a talk at a conference at RSA saying, hey, here's how I managed to convince like my IT or my CIO to like allow us to turn off macro-enabled malware for like files that were downloaded or turn off macros from files that were downloaded from the internet that'd be a great talk i'm i'm not sure it'd be like how well it'd be attended by some folks but it'd be a million times more interesting than hey this is the latest like red team tool no offense to certain red team tools but this you know it'd be a different talk that i'd i'd certainly yeah love to see at certain conferences yeah and it's it's even things like how'd you get buy-in for that yeah exactly yeah yeah you know what are the challenges and things that you ran into so we can share those stories that to make meaningful progress here the other thing that i will say is you know, from a SOC perspective, it's, you know, preventive controls have failed. Within our SOC, we aim to get to root cause like 70% of the time because we want to be able to work with organizations and say, this is how you make this class of problem go away entirely. Like, that's what keeps me, my passion for this is it's not just about finding threat actors where I get a lot of excitement. You can hear it coming through my voices, mm-hmm. being able to work with organizations and say, you know what, I can make this problem go away or we can work together or here's how you make that class of problem going away using strategy. So taking a security event, turning into security strategy, that's what I love about security operations. 
Absolutely. So I want to like touching on that. You've done a huge amount of work on, I suppose, the effectiveness of the SOC and the effectiveness of security programs. Can you tell us about some of the metrics that you use internally in Expel and some of the ones that you'd advise some of our listeners to to go about measuring? Yeah, I'll kind of set the stage here and I'll be super candid with with the listeners here. And I think providing the business perspective, I think is going to be key. Because we are a SOC as a service. At the end of the day, we have, you know, business goals that we're trying to reach. And, you know, from a listener perspective, like think about an organization trying to grow their top line. Like maybe talk about that as annual recurring revenue. You know, I'm sure, you know. Yep. And then think about that as like, I, I need the ability to add more customers to the platform. Okay, cool. But I also need to be able to retain my existing customers. And I think about that as gross revenue retention, net revenue retention. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing to think about is, is gross margin, you know, for how much we're, you know, charging customers, how much can we actually kind of keep of, of that particular investment? And so from a business perspective, like key SOC metrics are, are really think about this, the ability to grow our organization. I have to have a firm handle all my capacity. How much work is showing up? How much capacity do I have in the SOC? And what are the things that I can be able to do to kind of get some time back? So basically, I need to have a firm handle in terms of SOC capacity versus loading to be able to confidently say, yeah, we can add more customers to the platform. This is probably where listeners are probably going to you know, get a little bit more information is to retain customers, you have to deliver really good outcomes. Mm-hmm. And so I think about the outcomes I want the SOC to deliver on. Alert to fix times are less than 30 minutes for all classes of incidents. All right. Alert shows up in the system. We notify a customer. We populate remediation actions and get that thing under control in 30 minutes or less. The other thing that's a big driver for me is I want 70% of our security incidents to get to root cause, right? I don't want to just tell customers, hey, we identified pre-ransomware activity. It's under control. I want to tell them how it happened in the first place so they can take that strategic recommendation to shut it down from happening ever again. And then the gross margin impact is, okay, as we add more organizations, we can't do it in a way where we're just diluting gross margin by adding like hundreds of SOC analysts. So it goes back to, okay, cool. Am I landing the right tech and automation in all these places? Think about that as like a sailboat. Like you pull one thing, pulls the other. So it's just this complex system from a business perspective. Now, within that, there's a whole bunch of operational metrics that leads to really good operational control that I'm happy to dig in further as well. But I wanted to set you know context from a business perspective first. Yeah. And I think that's like from a business perspective is how every like director, every CISO has to be thinking about it at the moment. They have to be saying, Hey, like security is no longer just an effect on the, on the bottom line. It should be ultimately an effect on the top line as well. We should be able to say if we're doing security well, it's able to add value to our business. And if you haven't started thinking about, yeah, adding value to your business, it's going to be really hard to defend your position when it comes to both the current economic, the current macro, macro environment. Along the lines of what you're talking about, what are some of the, like the habits of effective socks that you're seeing, and this this could be expelled or it could be some customers of yours or ones that you've seen in your in your career. Yeah, I'll talk about culture and then and then capability. I think yeah. first and foremost, one of the things that's really important is that sock culture. Like culture eats strategy; it just does. I'm not saying yeah. strategy is important, but culture eats it. And so within our sock, basically, it's going to be a learning organization. Every time we're running into a new class of alert, we want to learn from that and kind of distribute that knowledge across the team. But the other thing that's really important is candor. I've worked in organizations where folks may be a little bit hesitant or reluctant to say, I don't know. I wanted, I don't know, to always be an acceptable answer in the SOC because you're dealing with, you're making risk-based decisions for organizations. 
I think that the bottom line there is like, think really hard about, you know, nurturing and preserving the culture that you want to deliver those outcomes. But this is probably where the most interesting part is as well, is my general philosophy is this, is when you're working in a sock, like 10 alerts show up, right? And then 10 more is if the same things are showing up again and again, that's going to lead to burnout. And mm-hmm. so the way we've really combated that is this super high level, like imagine an alert can come into your system and you can make a decision about the alert and you can investigate it and do a whole bunch more work. But the bottom line is this, is we're constantly looking at the patterns of our analysts and looking at where they're getting stuck, where they're spending their time, and then taking steps to automate those repetitive tasks away. So there may be classes of alert they're handling this week that we may hand off to the platform next week. It's the system of just constant learning and improvement again and again and again. And I think that's really what allows us to be effective because when you look at the net of that is the system is getting smarter, we're automating more classes of alerts, and then in parallel, we're keeping our analysts happy because we're creating space for them to learn new things again and again. And it's it's so important. And I think this is where, from what you were talking about earlier, the political challenge and the communication challenge becomes super important. That if if you can't fix a you know an alert or you know turn off macro macros or something like that, but they're causing a huge amount of alerts, that's what's going to cause your team that like that burnout, that fatigue. That it's important that they're not doing repetitive manual tasks, obviously, but it's also important that they're learning all the time, that they're able to grow, that they're able to expand their career, especially in today's hiring environment. You obviously talked a little bit about mental health there, but how do you keep an eye out for, it's an area that's super important to my heart and super important to, I think, like a lot of our listeners and some of their guests as well. But how do you keep an eye out for that? How do you like look to say, you know what, I think this is somebody that hasn't done X and we maybe need to look out for him or her. Yeah, I think about the burnout in the sock is and kind of my general philosophy with my management team is is metrics and data is how we take care of the team. Yeah. We must have intimate knowledge of our system to understand what's happening. Let me give you an example. Like I already know how many alerts are going to show up to the sock this week with reasonable certainty. Obviously, I can mm-hmm. be right or wrong, but I think the way you you take care of the team is okay, you have a firm handle on capacity versus loading. Example, like is your team just overwhelmed right now? There's going to be data that's going to tell you that, right? Now go and validate that, have some follow-up conversations. But the other thing is, are their lives getting better or are things getting worse? We talk about automation and you know automating repetitive tasks. Like If we're doing that, the work and the role is constantly changing. We know that they're not oversubscribed. We know that there isn't too much work showing up. Bottom line, I believe strongly that how you combat that is highly effective operations management. And so like there's a whole bunch of weekly status reporting and we've got these alarms and monitors that are constantly looking for things that that could indicate that something is amiss. Let me give you an example. Like if the length of our queue grows and that queue is how many alerts are in an open state, if it grows beyond a certain certain amount, we bring in folks across, you know, the seniors and our DNR engineering teams to, to get things back under control. And I think that's one of the most effective ways that you can bat burnout and help with mental health. Because I think burnout would is is likely rooted in Oh, it's never going to get better. Oh my gosh, this is just getting worse. And it's all to say things that you can't predict or expect are going to happen in a sock. It's your ability to react to that. That's the high mark of effective operations management. 
Absolutely. And there's, there's a whole load to that as well. So neutrality, first, like burnout isn't, you know, and it can result from, but it isn't a single incident. There's not many security folks that like mind, hey, we've had a, you know, a crazy incident this week and, you know, we're all hands on deck. That's part of the role. But it is that like isolation of people not caring and saying like, hey, this, it isn't going to get better. And it's just like, it's consistently getting worse. The other part about it that I really liked was like bringing in other folks. And I, I don't know how your team is set up exactly, but oftentimes if you have if you bring in the people responsible for building those detections, when those detections go bad, now there's an extra incentive to, yeah, make sure that those detections are actually, yeah, they're working, they're good, that they're not going to cause that alert overload. And that you're not just throwing the problem over the wall at the SOC analyst, which is something we unfortunately see quite a bit of. I don't know if that's uh, how relevant that is to you, but it's definitely seen a lot from among our customers. Yeah, it's very, very relevant. One of the things that, you know, we're at a partner, our, our company growth or journey where we're not just dealing with detection content that we've written. Yeah. When you think about integrating the SIM, there's a lot of content that our customers have written as well. And the way we provoke that is like, we have to have a firm handle on detection efficacy and what are our goals, yeah. metrics, and targets. Because if you have that, you have the ability to say, hey, listen, these four or five Splunk notable events, they're underperforming. Let's have a conversation to improve that. And if the SOC sees that, they feel as though, okay, we're making meaningful progress. And it's not just the same old false positives again and again and again. So what are some of the characteristics of a good detection? What do you think makes a makes a detection like effective, worthwhile, and you know, one that you want to deploy versus one that you're you're junking? I think first and foremost, I think understand the class of activity, understand the class of thing that you're trying to detect. And don't just consider the alert, consider the full end-to-end response lifecycle, I'll call you. What I mean by that is okay, I want to be able to identify pre-ransomware activity, or I want to be able to identify suspicious PowerShell activity, if you will. Don't just consider the alert, consider the entire life cycle of that. Mm -hmm. When the alert fires, what do you want to do? Well, I want to go ahead and automatically grab these pieces of data. And then what if there is a security incident? Consider remediation. I want to be able to hit this particular API and put the host in containment and then launch these investigative actions. Think about the sequencing end to end of that thing. Do not just consider the alert right? Mm -hmm. Just consider the whole life cycle of that, the whole end-to-end sequencing. The other thing that I'd I'd have a firm understanding in is, you know, how many times do we think this is going to fire? What levers do we have to improve the fidelity of this detection over time? And then being able to sometimes ask yourself the question is, does this need to go to a human for validation? Or can I process this entire alert or event end-to-end using the platform? I'll give you an example. Like if VPN comes in from unknown source, go ahead and create an incident you know, shoot out your tickets and go out and put the, disable the account associated with it. There are technologies where you can automate the entire, the the entire sequence there. And the other thing where it's okay to say, Hey, listen, this detection, we may be better off detecting this a different way. Like even just provoking that thought, I think is really important. I think the other part about it, certainly, yeah, among our customers, like we've got all of those, I suppose all of those processes, you can automate the vast majority of those, hey, you know, alert comes in, enrich the IP, deduplicate, check against, you know, various different tools. But it's also the alert. It can be a living process as well. We're like, actually, it turns out that in the next step, the analyst usually takes is they contact the user or the next step they usually take is they say, actually, you know, has this, is this IP associated with X, Y, and Z? Or is this, does this person work in finance? Because if they do, we know that this is an application that's super common and we don't need to worry that much about it. And as a result, you can build up some efficacy, but you can also take away some of the, some of the strain that way as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. 
Are there any other, I think there probably are, like innovative technologies or approaches that you're currently using or that you see some customers like purchasing? Any trends that you're like, this is a, this is something that I want to share with the world? One of the things that we're doing at Expels is we're spending a lot of time, effort and energy in terms of taking classes of decisions that are happening in the SOC and seeing if the product or platform can make more and more of those decisions. I think you mm-hmm. just raised a really good example. And this is a high level example. It's like given an alert, can we go out and grab some sources of information and have like a bot or the platform make decisions about that class of activity? I think we're trying to hand off more repetitive decisions to the platform specifically. And the one thing to call out is, I won't call it as innovative technology. What we're doing is utilizing technology in a different way. Let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. If, if you have a whole, whole bunch of employees that are constantly moving throughout the organization and you're in like a Google Workspaces or you use Okta for cloud identity providers, if those employees are going to be moving around, Maybe there's a process you can change that says, update your employee record details to let folks know where you're going to be. So if an alert comes in, we can bounce it off those APIs just to say, is this person supposed to be there and make the right decision about kind of, you know, not escalating it. So the bottom line is like, we're trying to utilize technology in a new way, not just waiting for new technology to come out. The other thing that is a little bit interesting where we're building integrations for is deception technology, where you know there are sandboxes on the network that are trying to act as, as honeypots within the network mm-hmm. to get attackers to go after that. I think that is an interesting concept in terms of being able to quickly identify you know, theft or use of credentials that should not be touched within an organization as well. It's almost like setting booby traps and keying off of those moments as well, which I think is interesting. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. And it works as well. Not, not that we had us in... Um or in any of my previous careers. But yeah, like I know from experience looking through the logs of our own internal wikis post an incident where somebody had gotten in that the places that they went to first up were, hey, how do you hash passwords? How do you like, where are user tables? What are some of the, and I know that if I had another website or another page in there, and I had some tokens in those, uh, that they would have alerted immediately. And certainly alerted, this was the advantage of these is not just like, hey, is somebody supposed to be here? But you can use them in a reasonably noisy places as well, where like it can be absolutely fine to say, you know, somebody's created an account or somebody's accessed a particular file. And because somebody could access them all the time, but being able to deduplicate and being able to contact a user's manager and say, hey, this person's looking at this, just a heads up. Is that detection to be way more interesting and way more high fidelity than if you were yeah, trying to alert on something else? Look, there's a whole lot of listeners that are in like starting security programs that are, yeah, in the space of just, you know, building out those first couple of tools, building out those first couple of metrics, getting started in their security operations program. What advice would you like to share with people that are getting started? Think think about budget. I, I've got this, mm-hmm. I've got this phrase, budget is strategy. All right. Think about your security budget in terms of what's going to be available. The other thing, if you're just getting started with the security program, I think avoid the temptation to measure whatever you can, right? Interesting. I can measure this because I can. I would sit down and think about, okay, what is my strategy for my security program look like? What does great look like? Think about what that looks like. And then think about the measurements that are going to tell you if you're there or not. Like example, I think about goals as things that you want and your metrics are just telling you where you are in that journey. I know it sounds simple, but like armed with the goal, let's just kind of do it as the goal. I'd like to feel better. And I think the way I do that is by losing weight and I can get on the scale every day. So if you apply that to your security program, think about where you want to get to. That is the thing that I did before I hired our first security analyst. I said, what is going to make a, a you know world-class or highly effective security operations center? And I defined the culture I wanted and I defined the metrics that I wanted to get to. And then I hired accordingly. 
So think about where you want to get to. Define what that is. And then think about the metrics or measurements that are going to tell you where you are in that journey. Avoid the temptation to say, I'm going to measure this because I can. Now, if you need to go out and just start measuring things to gain a sense of what you can, I think that's one part. But within the lens of security operations, what you're really after, in my opinion, is operational control. And operational control is when you see something happening in your data, you know what levers to pull to bring resolution to a given problem. Within your security program, what your aim is operational control, where you can say, huh, if we do this, that'll happen. Example, oh man, we're really struggling to control identity. We've got all these compromised credentials. Okay, we can bring a mixture of technology and process and capability to be able to combat that problem. You know, just the bottom line is think about where you want to get to in the metrics and measurements. And within security operations, under all of that, your aim is operational control. Again, where you can say, I'm going to do this, and this is going to happen as a result of that. And that's how I've been effective as Expels, because we have that level of operational control. Example, we're going to have 20 customers next month. I already know how much loading that's going to happen with which classes of technologies and which classes of alerts where I need to add more automation because the work times in the SOC are too high. Yep. Building that predictability is really hard, but if you are able to put it, it's far more effective than like adding 10 new detections saying, hey, you're able to scale a lot more effectively. And it's the same as running a business, I suppose. Yeah, that predictability is actually a lot more exciting than the opposite of like, hey, I'm going to you know add $10 million in revenue. Like That's great, but I'd much rather a predictable eight than a, you know, a 10 and then a six, because otherwise you're, you're not building a business. You're, yeah, you're building a, I suppose, an ad hoc alerting program that's going to overwhelm you at some point in time. Yeah. So and, and you can apply that to inter- internal security programs as well. Like, here's an example, like, assume you're working for, for an organization. And what if they said, okay, we're going to expand our offices into Europe, or we're going to go in, into yeah. Australia. You already know, okay, listen, we're going to have more employees join the organization. The seasonality or when those alerts fire is going to shift. I need to be thinking about when folks are showing up to work. What classes of alerts am I going to deal with? How do I automate, provide the right automation and decision support for my analysts at those specific times? It's applicable anywhere. Because if you, if you basically, you know, the high mark of management is the ability to look out in the future and with, with reasonable certainty, understand what's happening. So these models are applicable to internal security programs as well. Absolutely. Look into the future and be able to predict what's happening is not something I think many security professionals will claim that they're able to do, maybe in the in the management sense. But if you're trying to predict the future of security operations, if you're trying to predict like what security operations teams will look like in a few years time, do you have any predictions? I do. I think we're at an inflection point. And there's kind of, I'm going to generalize here. There's kind of like three categories of security programs that I'm running into. And the first one, let's call it like highly automated. And I'm not talking autonomous. But these are organizations that thinks about detections as code. Yep. We're talking about detection, highly effective detection engineering processes. Because my personal belief is if you want a highly effective SOC, you need a highly effective detection response organization kind of almost as a prerequisite. And so there are organizations that think about detections as code. They're using products like Tines and other automation platforms or, or maybe bringing their own capability to bear. And they're really being intentional with how they think about human time. They're leading with technology and then using humans to make decisions, not just doing a whole bunch of work, just to prove we have a security capability here. And then in the middle is is kind of the in-between where it's like, we've got ad hoc detection showing up. There's a lot of work, but there's some good things happening. And then the third bucket is probably that, that, I've got my I've got my Q radar and I ship my Q radar offenses and we just want everybody looking at them. And I think we're at a point where like, where I hope that we're headed 
is not necessarily autonomous socks, because I, I don't think that's where we actually want to get to. I think automation is a capability, not a destination. Mm-hmm. What I'm hoping to do is like the sock of the future is is more rooted on making investments around detection and response strategy. They're really intentional with how they utilize their human time because it is precious. Yep. And those that human time is focused on making risk-based decisions and using context. And then most of your security investment is is on you know working across the organization to you know focus on strategy needs, but making improvements to your technology and frameworks. Not we're going to show how good we are by looking at thousands of alerts. It's being really smart with the technology and frameworks that you're utilizing to manage risk for your business. I totally understand. I think that's you're right. A lot of our customers are doing like incredibly sophisticated like automation, but. A huge amount of it is they're also then using that, the, I suppose, the time saved to go out and affect change. And that's build better relationships with their engineers, build better relationships with, yeah, IT, with HR, and be able to, I suppose, provide additional context so that the engineers can patch their bugs or just to shift left uh, a lot faster. And it's that that's having a massive effect on, I suppose, those organizations. But it's also, I suppose, some of it is allowing yeah, allowing them to implement policies they simply wouldn't be able to implement with if you had to operate at human scale. But it makes security more operational and, and a communication challenge rather than a, yeah, a, a detection challenge, which is it's going to be one that's harder to win. I agree. And the other thing that I see happening, and there's there's really great products, and I think Tynes is a really great example of that. It's like, I think historically, the concept of like detection and alerts was was really just had one home, and that was the security operations center. Mm-hmm. Where we're headed, and we're already kind of there now, is like we're bringing in folks from across the organization into the concept of security operations. Example, like maybe that alert doesn't need to go to the socket first for trash. Maybe we can bump it and bypass and go right to the person's manager to validate and make it the click of the button. It's distributing alerts across an organization rather than saying these can only live in a security operations center. And I think there are products and really smart folks that are that are making that happen in the industry right now. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, hopefully Tynes is one of those that people, uh, that people consider. John, this was absolutely fab, but unfortunately, that's all we're going to have time for today. Before we wrap up, as I said, you're a little bit of a little bit of an influencer in the security world. If people want to follow your journey, where, where should they go? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm at Jay Hensinski on Twitter, or folks can feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm John Hensinski. And if folks want to check out Expel? We're at Expel.com. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I hope to have you on back again at some stage in the future. Yeah, I would absolutely love it. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Future of Security Operations podcast by Tynes. If you enjoyed today's show, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast platform. For additional episodes, visit tynes.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about how Tynes Automation Platform can transform your security operations team, visit tynes.com. Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode.